0: Hello, and welcome to COVID Matters, a podcast by COVIDAid. My name is Cheryl, and I'm a content editor and writer at COVIDAid. On today's episode, I talk to Dr Alex Burton, a senior research fellow in the Department of Behavioural Science and Health at University College London, UCL. Alex is part of the team working on the UCL COVID-19 Social Study, which aims to assess the psychological and social impact of the pandemic on various groups within the UK. In October, she co-authored a study that explores how the experience of long COVID has impacted the mental health and well-being of people with the condition. We invited her onto the podcast to tell us more. Hi, Alex, welcome to COVID Matters. Thank you for having me. I should in fact say welcome back. (laughs) You were previously on an episode with us in July. Now, in that episode, the work of this COVID-19 social study was in fact ongoing. So for anyone who's not yet listened to that episode, could you give us a brief rundown of the background to this study and its aims? Sure. So
1: we've been studying the sort of psychological, mental health um, impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, also looking at the impact on social lives. And we've been tracking people's experiences since March 2020, so 18 months nearly 19 months now. And what we've been doing is we've conducted a longitudinal survey where we've been asking people weekly, and then we changed it to monthly, basically how they've been feeling during the pandemic. So we've been asking them questions on loneliness, depression, anxiety, um, use of health services, if they've been able to access care. Also looking at things like whether they have trust in the government and whether they've been able to comply with social distancing guidelines. And really we've wanted to understand what those trajectories have been over over time, but also whether there are any particular characteristics that might predict worse experiences during times of crisis. So for example, we've been finding that younger people are reporting worse mental health outcomes than older people. Women are seemingly struggling more than men. So so it's really looking at tracking people's experiences. And the work that I've been leading is more on the qualitative side. So we've also been conducting qualitative interviews with people um, and we've identified people who we think might be at increased risk of adverse mental health or social isolation um, and doing index research with them as well. So we've spoken to people, for example, with long term physical health conditions who may have been shielding through various parts of the pandemic, people with mental health conditions, parents of young children who at times were juggling school and and work at home with their children. Um, And then one of our most recent studies has been exploring in a bit more detail how people with long COVID have been affected during this time, and particularly looking at at how their symptoms and their experiences of, of long COVID have impacted mental health and well-being.
0: I think that particular study, their findings were published in October and it had identified five key themes. Could you tell us a bit more about those themes and how they relate to the health and well-being of people with long COVID? Sure. So it hasn't
1: been peer reviewed yet, that paper, but it is available as preprint for people to read. Um, it's currently being reviewed at the moment. So fingers crossed that will be published in the next few months. Um, so, in terms of the sort of sample that we've spoken to, we've been interviewing people this year. So, between March and September. And we've spoken to 21 people um, who self-reported long COVID symptoms. And they self-reported that, on average, they'd been experiencing those symptoms for 29 weeks at the time of, of interview. And we explored how those symptoms were influencing their mental health and well-being. So things like fatigue, if they were feeling breathless, if they were experiencing cognitive impairments or brain fog, as a lot of people have described it, who are experiencing long COVID. And we analysed their responses and we came up with these five themes that that sort of permeated across participants' accounts. So the first theme was really thinking about relationships. And a lot of people talked about really the importance of supportive relationships during this time with friends, with family, but also with health professionals. And that was really important for well-being. So having social networks um, to support them through the, the kind of symptoms. But when those relationships were perceived as unsupportive. I think that's when people felt really quite lonely, they felt abandoned, they felt ignored. And particularly with health professionals, there was a lot of acknowledgement that we don't really know still how to treat this and we don't know what's going to be effective. But just having a health professional listen to somebody's story and empathize with what they were going through was really important for their mental health and well-being. Related to that, I think the second theme was around the lack of then services and treatment options. So feeling great senses of frustration and anxiety. And some people talked about being offered and receiving investigative tests. So having blood samples taken, but then not really hearing back for weeks about the results and sort of feeling a little bit in limbo with with what they could be doing to sort of support their symptoms during this time. Also, I think long COVID clinics have been quite tricky for some people to access either because they're not available in certain areas or they're not really sure how to be referred or the criteria is is quite strict. So that option for some didn't feel like it was available. I think the third theme really playing on the sort of lack of access to services, lack of access to treatments was just the impact of the, the ongoing symptoms that people were experiencing on daily life and social activities. So just not being able to return to full-time work on one level, but also just being able to manage domestic chores, personal care for some people, just showering, brushing their teeth was really tiring and people couldn't do very much even within their own homes. So that was having a huge impact on people's well being. I think on the social life aspect as well, a lot of people talked about withdrawing from social lives and not really wanting to talk to people about how they were feeling because they felt like they were a burden on other people or that people wouldn't want to know or or listen to them if they just had sort of negative experiences to talk about. So it was making people become more withdrawn and, and subsequently feeling a bit more lonely I think the fourth theme was really this uncertainty about illness trajectories and, you know, will I ever get better? What What is the future going to look like? Not knowing from one day to the next how you were going to feel obviously impacted on your planning, what, what you were going to do from day to day. And also the longer term worries about being able to return to work and and re-engage with activities that normally might protect your mental health, such as physical activity or, again, social connections and socialising. So, yeah, that real uncertainty about where this was all going was, was really difficult. And finally, I think participants felt a real impact on their sense of identity and their social roles and, you know, whether they were still able to be parents, partners employees in the way that they experienced that before and that that really upset people i think that really had an impact on their well-being so you know some people described feeling before really physically fit really physically active and now they felt weak less confident feeling a bit lost uh, as a result of, of their long covid symptoms so i think those were the kind of key things that came out i think also related to social lives and relationships i think most people described positive relationships but for some they found people were a little bit less empathic they you know had parents that just was willing them to get better but at the same time was sort of saying well why are you still ill why are you still experiencing this you should be better by now so so again I think that the crux of it is around the social networks that people have around them.
0: Did you find any of these particularly surprising? I think
1: We started this in March this year, and I think it was a a time when we were just learning more and more about long COVID. So in some ways, I think all of them surprised me because I was learning myself about how this was affecting people. And so yeah, it was sort of at that start of learning what this was about. But I think the main thing for me was just the profound changes in people's lives. I think just a lot of our participants were really healthy, really active, really fit, had really busy lives before this happened to them. And the changes were quite huge. And, you know, from going to full-time busy jobs not being able to work or being very physically fit and active and going to the gym and just no longer even being able to have a shower without feeling exhausted was really, really surprising and and really harrowing sometimes to hear. I think just the length of time that people have been experiencing these symptoms, some of our participants were or suspected they had COVID in March 2020 and a year later were still struggling and, and not able to access treatments. But then I think on the flip side as well, people's resilience came through. And I think, you know, when they were faced with this uncertainty, they still had hope and hope that they would recover or at least have a better functioning and a a better quality of life. And a lot of that, I think, came back to feeling supported by health professionals, by the the friends and the families in the social networks as well. And also being supported by their managers at work as well to, to work out flexible Arrangements.
0: As you say, some of the responses which are all included in your study, so I encourage everyone to read that. It's really quite moving to read the responses from participants and hear their experiences in day-to-day life and how it's changed and how that's impacted their mental health. So we'll link that in the show notes with this podcast for everyone who wants to have a read. Particularly for me, I found the theme which talks about the experience of care and understanding in others particularly relevant because we'd recently spoken to Dr Fiona Jones, who works in the Listen Project, which is about creating a support package for those with long covid And she mentioned that some people do feel that sense of shame in comparison to their peers or their colleagues and how slow it's taking them to recover. Did you find similar responses from your participants in this study?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting finding and I don't think it really came up as much in our study as shame. I don't think it was expressed as shame. We did have people talking about stigma and feeling like I said before, you know, that there was a lack of understanding of what this really was and you know, having people say why are you still ill? Not not necessarily based on other people's experience of having covid, but just really not understanding why it was taking so long for people to recover. So, I don't think it was expressed as shame as such, but there was that sense of why is this happening to me? Why are other people either not getting COVID or get, having mild symptoms? Or, you know, what is it that has made me not recover or I'm still experiencing this? But I think, yeah, the key thing was really for other people that maybe had recovered or had mild symptoms, there was a perception that those people were then less understanding of people with long COVID and less sympathetic because everyone had experienced it in a different way i think also participants talked about distancing themselves from people who were uh, not so understanding so again you know as a strategy to protect their mental health so it may be that they didn't really have chance to sort of explore those feelings if they were distancing themselves from people um, who weren't understanding so, yeah, it, it, shame wasn't something that we specifically asked about as well. I don't know whether that was asked about in the study, but it's definitely an interesting take. We did ask about stigma and we did ask about sort of peer pressure and, you know, this sense of, you know, whether other people were influencing how they were feeling, but but less so much about shame specifically.
0: What were the general responses to that kind of question? So I think the stigma question
1: we, we didn't get a lot of people talking about that, but when they did, it was more about feeling that others didn't understand that they were no longer infectious. So we had one participant talking about, she bumped into a friend in the street and had said, oh, you know, I had COVID a few months ago and I'm still not feeling well. And her friend visibly stepped away from her as if she was still infectious. And that really upset this person, obviously, you know, that that's not a nice thing to experience. So I think the stigma came out a little bit in terms of illness and infection and, oh, you're still not well, you've not recovered, could you still pass it on? But it was more of a minority experience, I think, with the stigma. And then the peer pressure was more about social distancing and kind of friends perhaps going back out into the world sooner than they were comfortable doing, going into pubs or going into restaurants. And I think Just that a mismatch in understanding of safety, and you know, somebody that's experienced long COVID, I think a lot of people are just a bit more reluctant to to re-engage in those kind of activities.
0: So generally, the study reveals the negative impact of long COVID on people's lives. Are there any positives or are there any aspects that we can build upon in order to turn them into a positive for experiences of long COVID in the future. I think this
1: this role of people's social networks is really key, I think, you know, to support people's mental health and well-being and, and on multiple levels. So that's something that we can all get behind. So if you're a friend or a relative of someone experiencing long COVID, you know, just providing On a very basic level, practical support. Do people have what they need? Do they need any shopping bringing in because they might not want to be going out? Providing empathy, just listening to people, I think, has been really key. I think, again, if you're an employee or an employer of somebody, you're working with somebody that's experiencing this, it's again having these conversations, being supportive, trying to be flexible so that people can work when they can and, you know, when they need a bit of time that they have that option. And similarly with health professionals, I think. Listening, making people feel believed, and sort of supporting their wellbeing in that way, in the absence of, of cures and treatments at the moment.
0: I do think we're quite lucky in this generation that we're in, where we have technology and things that, when social distancing measures are in place, we can also have support groups online. However, I noticed in the study that some people loved online support networks and they found them really useful to connect with people going through the same things whereas others actually found the opposite and found it a bit overwhelming i wonder if you could tell me a bit more about that and your thoughts yeah i think it's really hard isn't it
1: i think finding a balance there i'm not sure we necessarily can cater to every individual's needs and and wants i think people might require different support at different stages depending on how they're feeling and where they're at with, with their long COVID journey in a way. So I think people find it helpful to consult those groups if they're after specific information or ideas, or I think when they want to hear that other people are experiencing something similar to what they are, they just want to be validated and they want to know that they're not on their own. So I think it depends where you're at really. And But I think one of the interesting things that people told us was that they noticed people dipping in and out of those groups when they felt better. So people sort of leaving the groups once they'd recovered, or they felt that they didn't need it anymore. And the people that were left in the group, I think felt that wasn't very supportive because it would have been good for people to continue to share how they were doing and to provide some hope and give tips on what had helped them. So I think it is really tricky, but you know you don't need to stay engaged in these things you can dip in and out of them as and when you're feeling more positive or you're feeling like you need a shared experience and one of the the things that we could think about is having a sort of facilitator or more of a facilitator role in those groups or more of a clear purpose or message that what is this group about and what are we going to talk about so even like basic rules and guidelines about about how we run these groups so maybe a more focused and facilitated approach would be beneficial and then i think the next step is having you know offshoots of that where people can actually speak to each other because just reading and typing messages can be quite destructive sometimes. And I think having a space where people can actually come together either online or in person if people feel comfortable, where they can share those experiences is, is probably much more fruitful.
0: Definitely. And to plug COVID aid service, we do have the COVID-19 support community. For anyone interested in joining a support network like that, and we do share resources and advice information if anyone would like to join. So in terms of next steps, what actions are yourself or the UCL taking now that the study is complete? So the survey isn't quite complete.
1: It's nearly there, but but not quite. So we've got our final monthly follow-up this month in November. And then we've got a, a little bit of a break. And then we're going to do an absolute final follow-up in March 2022. So there's still plenty of data collection going on. There's still lots of analysis that our team are working on Um, and we'll also be asking some additional survey questions this month um, on long COVID to determine how many people in our study sample report experiencing long COVID and then also whether they've been able to access treatments and services and support to see what kind of things have influenced their experiences and we're continuing to conduct field work and interviews with vulnerable groups until the end of this year so one of the groups we really want to speak to are women who've experienced domestic abuse during the pandemic, as well as service providers who have supported those women. And as I say, that's running till Christmas. And then next year is going to be quite an exciting shift because data collection will start to, to slow down and we'll be finishing our analyses. So we really want to focus our efforts on dissemination of findings as widely as possible. And I think first and foremost, we want to tell our participants. we found and and share the study findings with them but then think about how we inform service provision mental health policy so that we can really start to implement some of the lessons we've learnt about how best to support people's mental health and well-being during periods of crisis um, and uncertainty
0: is there anything else you'd like to mention that perhaps we didn't talk about in today's episode I think if people are really interested in the study and, you know, what we found,
1: we've done lots of different analyses on different groups, on different characteristics in terms of what's been helping people's mental health during this time, what's been having a negative impact. So if you go to our website on www.covidsocialstudy.org, all of the information's there about how you can get involved or indeed you can just download um, the report.
0: Just to second what Dr Alex has said there, I really encourage everyone to read this survey so far because, like I mentioned earlier, some of the responses are just so harrowing to read. And perhaps even if you are dealing with some long COVID symptoms yourself, it might be quite reassuring to hear that you're not alone and there are others who are going through the same thing. Hopefully we'll have you back again, perhaps when you begin your survey in March. It would always be good to hear how you get on. So- Thanks to Dr. Alex for joining us on COVID Matters. You can read more about the UCL COVID-19 social study at www covidsocialstudy.com where you can find more information on how to get involved and read the report we discussed on this episode I mentioned on today's episode that we have the COVID Aid COVID-19 support community if you would like to join please visit community.covidaidcharity.org You can also find us on our website at covidaidcharity.org or on social media at covidaidcharity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of COVID Matters and until next time, please take care.